0: Hello, this is Mark Peacock, and welcome to the Travel Commons Podcast. This is Travel Commons Podcast number 185, recorded Monday, March 28th, 2022. This is the podcast giving the voice of the travelers, more about the journey than the destination. One topic on this edition of the Travel Commons Podcast, Notes on Louisville. So coming to you from the Travel Commons studios in Chicago, Illinois, a couple of weeks after hanging out in Brooklyn for what, I don't know, maybe I ought to call a longer weekend, Thursday to Tuesday, rather than a long weekend, which, you know, when I was growing up was three days, Friday to Sunday, but I don't know, now with telecommuting, it feels like it's gone to, I don't know, three and a half, four days Thursday noon to Sunday. Well, anyhow, I always, I've always i always stayed in Manhattan on my trips to New York, so I decided to change it up this time. Rather than run the usual play cycling through corporate codes on hotel websites to find something reasonable in midtown Manhattan... Instead, we posted up at an Airbnb in the Cobble Hill neighborhood in Brooklyn. And so instead of threading through crowds on Madison Avenue to find a quick bite... We wandered down the much emptier sidewalks, maybe Dodge and I work from home, dad following his daughter on a bike, and ended up walking into a local butcher shop, G. Esposito and Sons, to get a couple of sandwiches, which then turned into, I don't know, like a 10-minute conversation with the owner. Not sure if it was G. himself or one of the Esposito sons. About his wife's favorite sandwich, how he screwed up his Ash Wednesday fast right at breakfast, and then, you know, having him point to the sausage in the meat case that his wife was making for dinner that night. Definitely a change from my usual midtown lunch experiences. And that's kind of what I wanted to get with this stay, the chance to dig into Brooklyn a bit by staying there, walk in the neighborhoods, trying places like Esposito's and then Caputo's Bakery, just down the block on Court Street, where we grabbed bread and pastries, places you probably wouldn't journey to, but places you'd absolutely duck into if you were walking by. I mean, I used to do this when I was traveling every week to places like San Francisco or New Orleans. I wouldn't stay in the same place every week. Instead, I'd move around. Say, in San Francisco, I'd stay on Knob Hill one week, maybe Soma the next week, and then maybe down the 101 in San Mateo for a change of scenery and restaurants. I wouldn't come out of it an expert in the city, but I'd come away with a lot more experiences, more of a feel for the city than if I'd stayed in the same place for six to eight weeks straight. And that's what we got out of this weekend, a little better feel of Brooklyn, and part of that feel I picked up pretty quick. Cash is still king in Brooklyn, at least in Cobble Hill. These old-school Italian places cash only, though they do make space in the back of the shop for an ATM, just in case you find yourself a little short. (laughs) So, following up, following up on my recent rants about U.S. hotel housekeeping cutbacks... Jim McDonough hit me up on Twitter with his most recent experience. Jim writes, We stayed at the Whaler on Kanapali Beach on Maui late January, early February. The deal was room cleaned on checkout. However, we noticed the trash was being emptied, or someone was stealing it, while we were out. Apparently, the Monday after our arrival, they had resumed daily cleaning, but had forgotten to tell us. Jim, thanks for that. You'd think they'd want to take credit for the service upgrade, or at least keep you from thinking that someone was breaking into your room. Longtime friend, long-time listener, first-time caller, Laura Watica texted me about her recent experience with travel inflation. Laura wrote, Having found myself with three unexpected days off from work, I decided to head south for some sun and a vitamin D top-up at my favorite, favorite, favorite resort, the outstanding JW Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando. I'm all about the most beautiful, grown-up, lazy river and the handsome pool boys who come right over when you flip up your flag on your lounge chair. But the number was huge. I mean, twice the decent-sized number I paid last May for my birthday weekend. So instead, I headed a bit east to the eastern shore of Maryland for a much more reasonably priced Hyatt Resort in Cambridge, Maryland. It was freaking ridiculously beautiful. Saved money on the flight as well as on the room, some of which I promptly dropped on multiple platters of Chesapeake Bay oysters. Well, Laura, I am glad it worked out for you. The Eastern Shore, you know, it is its own little world and a fun place to explore before the summer crowds hit. Uh, Look, I understand the attraction of flipping up the flag for an instant cocktail. Maybe not so much the, you know, the pool boys, but I, I, I get wanting that instant cocktail in the Florida sun. But I'll take those oysters with a cold beer every time. In the last episode, I said no one sees an end in sight for in-flight masking. And then two weeks later, the U.K. ditches its remaining COVID travel restrictions. Heathrow Airport then drops mandatory masking. U.K.-based airlines BA, Virgin Atlantic, TUI, and EasyJet drop mask rules where they can, mostly within the U.K., except for Scotland, and to Denmark, Iceland, Gibraltar, Hungary, and the Caribbean. Then KLM announces they'll stop enforcing in-flight masking, even though it's still a legal Dutch requirement. And now this week, U.S. airline CEOs and uh, Southwest Airline Flight Attendants Union are calling for an end to the U.S. mask mandate. You know, in the words of that great American philosopher Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. The U.S. CEOs have said this before about uh, dropping in-flight mask mandates, but the Southwest flight attendants are a new voice. And, you know, you got to think, they've got a point. The mask mandate impacts them more than anyone else day in and day out. They're the ones having to enforce it. And let's face it, that was not in their job description when they signed up. Indeed, a TUI flight attendant in England tweeted out, first flight done without a mask and it was an absolute dream. Happy passengers, happy crew. The March extension of the US mandate was actually only for a month from March 18th to April 18th, which was the shortest extension I could recall. Right now, the CDC is supposed to be working on a revised policy framework for mask mandates on all public transport. Now, in spite of being a really lousy forecaster, I'm guessing that the CDC is going to take every bit of that 30, 31 days before they make their announcement. Irene and I were talking about this uh, the other day. Even without a mandate, we'll probably still voluntarily pull out a KN95 mask on, say, completely packed planes in the winter when I'm sitting shoulder to shoulder with some guy who's coughing or sniffling. it's For me, it's less of a COVID thing and more of a I should have been doing this for the last 30 years thing. It would have saved me a fortune on cough and cold medicine and pocket packs of Kleenex. At the end of the last episode, I mentioned looking forward to checking out the new LaGuardia American Express Centurion Club. The old LaGuardia Club was upstairs, tucked in a corner, and worst of all, in front of security, so before security. So what ended up happening was next to the bar, they put up a TV that was showing a live feed from a closed circuit camera that was pointed at the TSA checkpoint on the floor below so that you could figure out when you needed to leave the lounge to make your flight yet not very elegant the new club in the new terminal b is great properly placed after security on the way to the gates and twice as big as the old lounge so plenty of room when there's a weather delay the one kink in my plan to check it out though was i'd forgotten to bring my amex platinum card with me to new york Ugh. So the night before leaving, I hit the Amex website, fire up the chat box and ask, is there any way to get in without my physical card? The net net of the back and forth was no, kind of as I expected. But then the next day on the Uber ride to the airport, I don't know, I was just killing time, poking around the Amex app on my iPhone, and then I found a screen for the LaGuardia Centurion Lounge. And there, under access information, it said I could use a platinum card or a check-in code. So I hit the button for a check-in code and got a QR code from LoungeBuddy. Never seen this before. Well, you know, nothing to lose. So after security, I walked up to the desk. The agent immediately scanned the QR code and my boarding pass and said, welcome, Mr. Peacock, you're good to go. She said, everyone's using this now. Uh, I, I went to the bar, got my free beer, and I'm thinking to myself, well, then somebody should have told the chat guys that. And hey, if you've got any travel stories, questions, comments, tips, rants, the voice of the traveler, send them along to comment, c o w m e n t s at TravelCommons.com. You can send a Twitter message to Peacock, post your thoughts on the Travel Commons Facebook page or Instagram account. They're at travel Commons, Or you can always post a comment on the website at TravelCommons.com. So the only topic on today's Travel Commons podcast is Notes on Louisville. You know, sticking my head into the open hatch of a fermentation vessel during the Angel's Envy distillery tour was probably my peak Louisville moment. Looking down at the bubbling mash and then inhaling, enjoying those nice yeasty notes for just a second or two until the hot CO2 coming off those bubbles burnt my nostrils. I'm not a big bourbon guy, more of a scotch guy, but it was a great tour. I like these kind of tours, ones where you you see people making things. It was a Friday afternoon and the place was running at full tilt. The mash tons and the fermenters were full. The distilling column was burbling away. A couple of guys were emptying aged bourbon out of barrels, giving that room a really nice smell, too. And the bottling line was running at I don't know, a surprisingly non-hectic pace, the filled bottles proceeding along the conveyor at, I don't know, kind of a stately pace past a couple of inspectors and then to the boxing crew. And there were only seven of us on the tour, so we all got front-row views. The tasting at the end of the tour was also well done, a 15 to 20-minute guided tasting session rather than the usual here's your complimentary shot I get at Scottish distilleries. I mentioned in my last episode, I have a small bit of history with Louisville. My folks moved there from Memphis in the early 80s when I was in college in D.C., and then I ended up living there one summer when I was too broke to stay in D.C. And so that's when I learned to pronounce Louisville like a native, Louisville, not moving your mouth, swallowing all the vowels, which is how you know someone pronouncing it Louisville is not from there. I actually only ever heard one person pronounce it Louisville. He was English, so I couldn't tell whether he was being serious or not. But after my family moved to Southern California in the late 80s, that was pretty much it for me in Louisville until July 2012, when Louisville was the first stop on my 2100-mile drive around the South that I talked about in episode 100. And then 10 years later, this trip. Back in 2012, after six hours on I-65, I took the first exit I could after crossing the Ohio River and parked myself at the corner of the Garage Bar, a repurposed gas station in New Lou, New Louisville, the hip neighborhood developing east of downtown, running a few blocks down East Market Street. Ten years later, last month, Garage Bar is still there. And Nulu has expanded east and a bit north, starting to smear into what was called Butcher Town when my folks lived there. There seems to be a coffee shop or tap room on every corner and sort of cool independent boutiques and restaurants fill in the spaces in between. It's a fun neighborhood, and there's quite a buzz about it. People walking up and down the sidewalks, every coffee shop and restaurant I walked into were doing good business. I talked about La Bodeguita de Mimi in the last episode, a great Cuban restaurant that was jammed on a Thursday night. Saturday morning, we tried to carb up at Biscuit Belly, but it was packed, so we walked up a block to Butchertown Grocery Bakery for my biscuit and gravy fix. Working our way up through the Butchertown neighborhood toward the river, we had to navigate our way under a huge set of elevated expressways, kind of some tangle of I-64 and I-71, to be able to get to the Ohio River. Now, the Ohio River, like the Mississippi, the Missouri, the Cumberland, it's a working river, carrying barge tows, I don't know, five football fields long which makes it a bit dodgy for small pleasure craft, and so the banks of these rivers are often pretty industrial. But Louisville's Waterfront Park has reclaimed some of that industrial space, you know, scrapyards, sand pits, to provide really a nice stretch of riverside recreation. Uh, the one bit of industrial scrap they did leave, uh, the late 1800s Big Four Railroad Bridge, it was decommissioned in 1969. They left it standing above the river after taking the connections off of each side. Until about eight years ago, when Kentucky and Indiana built ramps to re- we connect the bridge to the riverbanks on each side, and now it's a pedestrian and biking path. We drove over to the Shelby Park neighborhood, parked the car, and walked along Logan Street. We started at the Logan Street market, shopping the food stalls on the first floor and then kind of browsing a maker's market on the second floor. We then walked down Logan Street past a butterfly farm, a ping pong emporium, a hot dog joint, and a bunch of houses till we got to Atrium Brewing, which had some great beers, a nice tap room, and a big TV showing college basketball because what else would be on in Kentucky? It was a nice walk. We could feel this stretch was starting to develop, but I don't think it'll be another Nulu. I think it feels like it's going to be something more neighborhoody, lower key. I don't know, maybe a bit of a crunchy granola vibe to it. But these isolated places, that's what struck me about walking and driving around Louisville. These separate neighborhoods, strips of, I don't know, four to eight, ten blocks that aren't linked up. They're just sort of islands separated by, you know, kind of gaps, runs of dodgy blocks. I don't know, maybe vacant blocks or some with kind of rundown housing or, you know, big underpasses that just don't invite continued walking like our walk from our AC Hotel in Nulu to the Angel's Envy Distillery. I ended up having to navigate under the multiple lanes of I-65. It was poorly lit, and i got to tell you, slightly uncomfortable at 2 p.m. I definitely would have had second thoughts about walking under it at 6 or 7. But once there... The distillery is a great building. They dropped a sleek, new distilling operation between the brick walls and the steel beams of what was an abandoned 1900s manufacturing building. And then it's kitty-corner from Louisville's minor league ballpark and against-the-grain microbrewery. But then that's it. Other than those two buildings, it's open-surface parking lots. I'm really hoping that Louisville finds a way, um, multiple ways, you know, some planned, some organic, to grow into those empty spaces and link up these neighborhood islands. Having said all that, we had a fun four days in Louisville. I definitely recommend it. Get a car, base yourself in a Nulu hotel, and then explore the neighborhoods and the riverbank parks. Check out the show notes. I'll summarize all this into an easy-to-use list of places and links. Okay, that's it. That's the end of Trevor Cummins podcast number 185. I hope you enjoy the show. Hope you decide to stay subscribed. You can find us and listen to us on all the main podcast sites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. You can always ask Alexa, Siri, or Google to play Travel Commons on your smart speakers. Check out the show notes at TravelCommons.com for a transcript and links. You can also click on the link in the episode description in your podcast app. And if you've got a couple of minutes, please leave us a review on one of those sites. If you're not yet subscribed, hit the website at TravelCommons.com. There's a drop-down subscribe menu at the top of each page, a set of subscribe links at the bottom, and a big red subscribe button in the middle of the page. And then across the bottom of each page on the website, you'll find links to the Travel Commons socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you've got a story, thought, comment, gripe, the voice of the traveler, send them along, text or audio file too. comment, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at travelcommons.com and Peacock on Twitter. Write them on the Travel Commons page on Facebook or Instagram or post them on the website at travelcommons.com. Thanks to everyone who has taken the time to send in emails, tweets, post comments on the website. I really do appreciate it. And until the next time, travel safe. Thanks for stopping by the Travel Commons. Bye now.